Hello everyone and welcome back to this new episode of the Intercast. Today we are going to talk about the rebuilding of Britain after 1945 and we'll begin right away with the reasons for the Labour Party's rise to power in 1951. First, the elected members of the Labour Party were serious people. They had been in the wartime uh, national government in a coalition government, and the labor leader had gained experience as ministers, so they were respected by the electorate and had an attractive image. Clement Attlee was deputy prime minister. He was in charge of administration and domestic affairs. He was an extremely efficient organizer, unlike Churchill, who was a poor committee chairman. Bevan was the minister of labor. He mobilized workforce uh, efficiently for total war during World War II, and he had the support of the trade unions. Herbert Morrison was the minister of supply from 1940 to 1943, and he was as well after home secretary from 1943 to 1945. He worked on security of the home front as well as civil defense. Hugh Dalton was the Minister of Economic Warfare. And then Richard Stafford Cripps uh, was the Minister of Aircraft Production from 1942 to 1945. He was sent twice to India in 1942 with the Cripps offer, and then in 1946 for the preparation for the independence of British India. But they also had attractive ideas. The country was in a desperate economic and financial situation with increasing wartime debts, draining the financial reserves and a total dependence on the United States of America. Labour Party offered a Keynesian approach to economy and so foreign debt paved the way for nationalization and planning. The estate regulation of the economy and an expert-driven construction this would allow them to repay the loans, ensure full employment, and take social measures. And so based on the Beveridge Report of 1942, the welfare state was created in Britain, tackling the five giants, the five dominant problems in Britain in 1945. They were tackled by the creation of a state-driven public system, which promoted the role of the state, so a socialist approach, completely against a laissez-faire of liberal and conservative policies. And it invited to a cooperation between the state and the individual. The Labour Party also arrived at the right moment. There was the social impact of World War II with the end of two nations. Uh, so there was a strong division between the rich and the poor, which existed until 1939 and was regarded as typically British. But World War II had weakened the class divisions. Even the royal family had rationing card during World War II, and so there was a common experience of danger and national war effort. Britain was now one nation. There was still an unfair gap between the rich and the poor, but this matched with Labour's interpretation of socialism, so providing collectively for the needs of the people, regardless of their ability to pay. There was also uh, a massive extension of the state control uh, during wartime and the sense of working together for a common goal. Last but not least, uh, an enormous contribution was made by the USSR towards the defeat of Nazism, so socialism was in good light. The Labour Party was also elected in a convincing way. There was the widespread support for the idea that Britain would have to win the peace now that they have won the war. It was the promotion of a fair society, ensuring that there was no return to the dark days of the 1930s. 
Also, the Conservative Party had a very unconvincing campaign. They were declining in popularity because they had been in power since 1931. So uh, this party was associated with depression, war and rationing order. All of the Labour electoral meetings were ending with the song Jerusalem, written by William Blake. And this shows the total success of uh, the Labour Party after 1945. That's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed. We'll catch you in the next one where the Labour Party is in power. Is it a new Jerusalem? Is it a missed opportunity? We'll talk about that in the next episode. Bye!